All right, as we move into our sermon today, we'll put up that first question. And we're going to be looking at Lent. And Lent, a lot of it comes from the temptation of Christ as he was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting in solitude and silence and wanting our community to move into Lent with the global church and to pray about what we can fast in order to feast on, on Jesus and to participate in deeper fellowship with him. And also, we've been doing a lot of silent solitude in our community. This last year has been a huge push for us to be with the Lord and to carve out spaces in our life to hear from him and to be in his presence. And so this is also a continuation of that as we look at Matthew chapter 4. So before we do this, we have a renewed tradition where we break off into groups of two or three. If you came with a significant other, invite someone into your group that you could get to know. And answer this question, what were the most difficult practices you've gone through? Maybe in preparation for the SAT, to run a marathon, football practice. And then I'll come back up in two minutes and we'll move through our, our passage together. Ready, set, go. Thanks for sharing, everyone. By the way, I want to thank Corey, who did the video. She's a Biola undergrad. I don't know if she's here today. She's a film major. Really grateful for her. And thanks for our, our tech and AV team. I never get to thank them enough. But they just rescued me right now. So extra grateful today. All right. If you want to perform at a high level, then practices have to be more difficult than the game, right? So some of us, maybe we ran a marathon. We're just trying to survive it. And so we go. Uh, 13 miles, 20, and then on the actual day, we do 26 miles. But if you're trying to compete with other marathon runners, or for a hot second, I did cross country, until I realized that you're practicing to run 10 miles, 10 miles of, of practice uh, in, in your weekly practices. You go 10 miles at a time. I'm like, I can't run 10 miles. And so I just quit. But my friend, who was really good at cross country, he loved running. And when he ran, his, his coach would take the team up to a mountain so that the altitude was higher, the air was thinner, the gradient was a lot steeper. And he would train on that terrain for 10 miles, for 12 miles. And then the actual race was easy. Three miles, flat ground, normal air density. I mean, it's, it's a piece of cake at that point. I did... Um, uh, football in junior high, just flag football, Christian school, nothing to gloat about, except that I got MVP, still nothing to gloat about. But uh, the, it was like this really cool play where the, the uh, let's see, linebacker would be drawn midfield, and then I would have a whole thing to run down. And practices were brutal, mostly because we didn't bring water bottles for some reason. So in the middle of practice, when we had like a 10-minute water break, it'd be 15 guys lining up on three faucets, and we would count to 10 and just swallow as much water as you could, even though you're still dehydrated. You go back out to practice. And then the worst part of practice is at the end of the whole practice, when everyone's sweaty and, and just about to pass out, the coach is like, I want everyone to run till I get tired. And the field is huge. So we're just running this huge field till our coach is tired of watching us run. And then we go home. On the way home, I ate two double-doubles. My mom would take me to In-N-Out, and then I'd go home and eat dinner. It was, it was intense. And I wonder, when we think about 
performing at a high level. Oh, and then when I went to actual football games, it was easy, you know, like I'd have to run the whole time and we would raid the cheerleaders' water bottles and everything. It was like the lightest day of the week when we actually had a game. When I look at Jesus' temptations in Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 1 and 2, I think about how the Spirit led Jesus out to the wilderness and how he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights meaning that he was in silence and solitude for 40 days. And he put his body into a place of depletion. He didn't eat for 40 days. He was hungry. But I, saw, I see this 40 days prior to him being tempted by the devil as practice. I almost think that the devil's temptation didn't touch him much. It wasn't very motivating for him because of how much time he spent in silence, solitude, and fasting, that the practice time could have easily been more difficult than game time. Because when you put yourself in a place of fasting, silence, and solitude, you're really cutting yourself off from everything until you are completely satisfied in the Lord. Silence cuts us off from the people around us so that we could be in the presence of Jesus. Uh, I mean, solitude, silence allows us to cut ourselves off from the noise so that we could hear his voice. And fasting makes us dependent on Christ. And Jesus does this in the wilderness. He removes himself from people, from things, from accolades, and he's just with God. And when you're in this space of silence, solitude, and fasting, it makes it really difficult to be tempted. Because you come to a point when you lengthen it where you need little and want little outside of God. How does Satan tempt someone who needs little and wants little? Silence, solitude, and fasting gets us to a point where socially we're dependent on Jesus. Physically we're dependent on Jesus. And we only hear his voice. That's an amazing place to be. Right? Fasting isn't just withholding physical food or entertainment. But it's allowing ourselves to say, God, I'm dependent on you alone. Solitude isn't just being alone, but it's being with, with the Lord. And silence isn't just cutting out noise, but it's tuning our ears to his voice. And when I look at Jesus work through the temptations, I see these three elements at play. I see his practice of fasting solitude and silence make make the game time of temptation may be easy. I, I, I think we look at these words and they all have negative connotations, right? No one's like, I love solitude. Solitude's my best friend. I remember moving into this practice at ISF. I went to seminary at Talbot and there was this retreat and I was really excited because I was single and there were some cute girls in our class. So I wanted to spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I went up to the retreat, just like last weekend, I went up to the retreat and I brought all these board games with me because I'm, I just, I, you know, all the free time. We play Settlers and Monopoly and I walked in and everyone's laughing at me. I'm like, why are you guys laughing? And they're like, dude, you brought props for your joke. It's hilarious. I missed the debrief where it's a solid silence retreat. Where you are quiet for 24 hours. And I was just dying inside. I wanted to die. And I hated it. And my, I think if the guy could have failed me, the facilitator, he would have. 
It wasn't until this last two years where God brought me into silence because I hit a wall in my faith. I remember two Christmases ago being near depression, so close that I could kind of reach out and touch it. I asked Pastor Dave to preach for me all four uh, Sundays through Advent so that I could just rest and be with the Lord. I didn't know if I would find my way back. And then January, he just kind of lifts me out of that. But then six months later, in May and June, I have all of these difficult conversations I've shared with you guys. And there was just this anger brewing in my heart. And I didn't know how to direct it. And so when it's misdirected, it usually hits my wife and kids. They became scared. My wife didn't know if I should continue in ministry. And I remember that moving me to a place of silence and solitude. Moving me to a place where I could just sit and be with Jesus. And after that, we, we as a church started entering in. When I think about the negative parts of it, the hard parts, maybe a picture that comes to my mind that helps me is I'll wake up in the morning and just kind of spend uh, time by myself making coffee. And then Liam walks out the door. He has a bed head. He's sleepy. He can barely walk. And then he says, Appa, milk, 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 milk. Milk, right? And he asked me for milk over and over again. And then I ask him for a kiss and a hug because that's his commodity at home. And then finally, I start pouring him milk. I put him on the counter. And I just, it's one of those moments where we're just together. And, and that, there was a morning where I looked so deeply into his eyes that I could see my own reflection. That he's drinking milk and I'm with him and he's with me. And there's no distractions. Because so much of life is filled with distractions for him, wanting to watch Paw Patrol, for me on my email, in conversation, taking care of the baby, in ministry. The wilderness of silent solitude is where God puts us on a counter and just makes eye contact with us. He moves us into wilderness so that we can be fully fixated on him. And every great leader in the Bible goes through this wilderness. Kings are made in the desert, in the wilderness. David is, who he is, is created in the fields with sheep and in caves running from Saul. Moses is also tending sheep for 40 years before he runs into a burning bush. And Joseph sits in prison where, where they experience solitude but being with Jesus. Silence, but hearing the voice of God. And fasting, but being filled and dependent on the Lord. As we move through these, as we look at the first temptation, it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first thing I want to point out in this passage isn't the temptation, but is this line, if you are the son of God. And, he, and Satan uses this twice in his first and second temptation. If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. And what he's trying to do is attach Jesus' sonship to some other aspect of life, to provision, to popularity, to his possessions. He's trying to say that, <clears throat> Jesus, your identity in Christ isn't isolated, but is attached. And I wonder if there's things that are attached to our relationship with God. 
whether if one of these other things unravel, whether our relationship with the Lord would unravel with it. Is our relationship in correlation or attached to money? That if our, when our stocks dropped last week, our faith started unraveling. Is our faith attached to a significant other who likes us and approves of us? And if they broke up with us, we don't know how to respond or relate to Jesus, that these things are tied together. Is our relationship with the Lord attached to our health or the health of our family? It's, it's hard to, it, the answer is easy, but living it out is really difficult. And I've seen again and again in my life where when something's taken away, whether by the Lord or by sin or by the fallen world, I've, I feel it drag with it at times my faith. And I've seen many people's faith sever because one of those other things are unraveling. And that's what's happening here. Satan wants Jesus to attach his identity as a child of God with provision, with his popularity. And again, when I think about fasting, silence, and solitude, it detaches our identity in God with everything else. When we spend enough time in solitude, we start to, we are saying that, man, God, you are enough for me. You are all I want. In silence, we, we shut out the noise of everything around us, and we, we find that the word of the Lord is sufficient and, and sustaining. In fasting, we learn to be dependent on God. And it's a place in maybe when things are going well that we voluntarily place ourselves in so that when things are going poorly, that space is familiar to us. If I'm familiar with solitude, when people at church don't like me, I'm not a hostage to them because solitude has been my friend. I am familiar with the face of Christ. If fasting is a part of my, my rhythm, I mean, if you fast for 40 days, you're just not afraid of death. <laughs> like, how can Satan threaten Jesus? He just fasted for 40 days. What does he have to lose? If, if you can live a life where, where your wants and needs are met by God, Satan can't touch you. And silence, solitude, and fasting is the practice of the hard storms of life. It's pra- it, pr- it teaches us how to sever our identity in God with everything else. And then I broke down. There's a, I've preached this sermon maybe six different times. I have to say I probably preached it six different ways. There's a part of that that's concerning. I also feel like this is a narrative that has a thousand insights. And I'm choosing these three, okay? Here we go. Fasting deepens our dependence for God to provide. The, sen- the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to be- become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When we fast, we deepen our dependence on the Lord. We're cutting something out of our life that could be very, like in many ways, good for us, filling for our souls. But in this space of fasting during Lent, we're saying, God, we're taking out what's good in order to replace it with you. And you're always better. Fasting is feasting on Jesus. 
Solitude deepens our dependence on God for acceptance and intimacy. Then the devil took him on a high city, or to the holy city, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. You are the, if you are the son of God, same phrase, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In this space, we see Satan want Jesus to go to the, to the temple and to throw himself down. And this is probably one of the most genius ways, one of the best plat platforms to launch his candidacy for messiahship. So at the temple, you have the Jewish leaders. You have the rabbis, the Sadducees, the, Fa the Pharisees, all gathered together, the stakeholders of power in their, whole, in their whole nation. So if you jump out of the temple and everyone's like, oh, he just, he just wanted to end his life, and then angels came and lifted you up, as the Bible said that Satan himself is quoting, everyone's like, yeah, that, I think that's the Messiah. If I had to guess, if I had to choose, that, that, that's it. So, so Satan is helping Jesus launch his ministry. Instead of being rejected, instead of having to walk from town to town, having, going through hard questions with the Pharisees, eventually going to the cross, why don't you just jump and have angels catch you? And in the same way, Jesus, in his fasting, was dependent on the Lord. In his solitude, he has his eyes on, on God. That God became his acceptance. God was the one who gave him value. And so, when that happens in a complete and full way, everyone else's opinions of you becomes valueless. Jesus is looking at all the people that Satan wants him to please, and I just spent 40 days sitting with my father. I have all the intimacy and acceptance that I'll ever need. I wonder if solitude would bring you to a place where you're not dependent on the eyes, on the likes, on the compliments of others, on other people elevating you or speaking well of you or envying you. Because you see God's eyes, and he loves you, and that's enough. He accepts you, and so popularity becomes meaningless. Jesus, in his, in his solitude, has enough from the Father. I wonder if when, when we... When we, like, don't feel like the in crowd anymore... Are we trying to push ourselves back into being accepted? Or have we embraced that space to say, God, meet me here. And let me be with you. Let me be accepted by you. And let that be enough. I wonder when we feel rejected by the person we like or even our own wives or husbands. If that space of isolation would bring us to the Lord. And to say, in my solitude, I sit with Jesus who loves accept, and accepts me. Lastly, silence deepens our dependence on God's voice, on God for his voice, and our value in him. Again, 
The devil took him on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I believe that in the silence, Jesus knew God's voice. And when we know the voice of the shepherd, we are able to discern the voice of the thief, of the wolf, of the robber. When we don't know the voice of the shepherd, how do we know that that's not our shepherd? Telling him to bow down wasn't it. Do we have our ears towards the shepherd's voice? Jesus says, my sheep know me. They know my voice. Do we know God's word well enough so that when things are misquoted, maybe from the mouth of Satan, that we're able to say, this isn't you. This isn't the Lord. Away from me. I rebuke you. We see Jesus sitting in the wilderness over Deuteronomy. Maybe he memorized it and it was just in his heart and he was going through it. Maybe it was in front of him. But every time Satan lied, he pulls a passage from Deuteronomy to reject the lie with the voice of the Father. I hope that our church would know and love the Word of God. That it would be deep in our soul. That's why on Sundays, we, we've spent two and a half years on Matthew. We just kind of walk through that book. And then before that, Romans. And then John and Philippians twice. We want to know scripture. We want our small groups to roll up their sleeves so that they know the truth. They know the truth. They know the voice of the shepherd. Do, can we hear his voice? And remember, God's voice comes in whispers. Without silence, you can't hear a whisper. And it's in the silence that we hear our shepherd speak to us through his word and through his spirit. I want to encourage us to move into the Lent season and to think of fasting as feasting, to think about solitude as being face-to-face -face with Jesus, to think about silence as hearing his voice. What is God moving you to fast during this Lent season? It could be social media. Maybe it's gaming and Netflix. Maybe it's uh, food. Maybe it's something that you just feel compulsed, like there's like a compulsory reaction and you're like, man, instead of my, my heart and my hands grabbing at that, what if I, I, I remove that even just for a season so that my heart and my hand would gr start grasping at Jesus and find him to fill my soul? And we're hoping that that's exactly what fasting would do. It would allow you to have silence and solitude, to feast on Jesus' presence. I loved young adult retreat. I've been to 50 retreats. I've spoken at probably 30 plus. Um, and this was my favorite one. Um, I don't know if I say that every time, but I really believe it this time. I really believe this was my favorite retreat. And, and why, why I loved it so dearly, besides Dr. Ken preaching in partnership with Chrissy leading our, our prayer time, is because it was a vision of how I see Renew growing. That we would have a foundation in God's word and continue to have that be what speaks to us the loudest, the most clearly, with, with the least doubt. 
And then out of that would come us in silence and solitude, longing to be with the Lord, longing to be face-to-face with him. And out of that would come him showing us uh, visions, us hearing his voice, us praying over others, knowing that those things are fallible. We could be wrong, but, but as we tune our ears to the Lord and as we sit with him, he might affirm things in our soul, show us our future, or be able to speak a word of encouragement to our brother and sister. And that's what the young adult retreat looked like, that so many people walked away with an encounter with the Lord, with a word from him. And that brought me so much joy. And, and I, I desperately wanted not to just be this isolated three-day thing uh, 50 miles away. I wanted it to be how we pray, that we would pause and, and just listen and know that we could be wrong and it's okay. That's why we do it in community. But we could be right. The Lord could share something from his heart through our mouth. And it's so powerful. When I, um, during retreat, there were just really cool moments. And I just wanted to bring that back here to us. So I asked a few of our young adults to share how the Lord had spoken to them through the retreat. So uh, Kim and Rachel will come up first, right? And um, I think I'll put you guys first. And, uh, and then Zach and then Chris. So come on up. And during the, uh, one of the times where Chrissy was leading our, our prayer time, we weren't just praying for ourselves, but we were praying for each other. And allow, asking the Lord to put something on our heart for our brother and sister uh, around us. And so, Kim, what did God put on your heart for Rachel? Um, so I think um, as I was sitting in silence and solitude, as um, Chrissy had led us in, um, for, f- there's, for those five full minutes, I think I just wasn't sure, like, when I do these exercises, whether I hear, like, my own voice or I get distracted. But I think... Um, four words came up in my mind in particular, and they were light in the darkness. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, how did, how did that speak to you? As she sh- check, check. How did that speak to you as she shared that uh, with you in that time? Um, yeah, as Kim shared afterwards um, what God had kind of shown her about me and shared those words of encouragement and affirmation for me. I just instantly, I don't know, like tears because I it really spoke to where I was at coming into that weekend at retreat. Um, I just come out of like a very very like hard week at work and um, I was feeling a lot of self doubt, disillusionment, discouragement, and fear. Um, and God really used. Kim and those words to speak truth and light into my life um, and to remind me of his promises for me and to see past like just the situation I was in and to hopefully like have hope again for the future. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, Zach, how are you? So Zach and I and a few others, every morning we spent 
40 minutes, 50 minutes, just in solitude, solitude and silence with the Lord. I kind of led that time. It was funny how 40 minutes just flew by. I mean, you wouldn't think that. But Zach, all, so many of us got amazing moments uh, in those mornings. And Zach particularly got this image as we were, the exercise was to sit with Jesus in kind of your favorite spot, whether it's on a hike or at the beach. And so Zach was sharing him and Jesus sitting together. You want to just share your story? Yeah. So um, I don't know if this isn't on. Uh, I'm like a, I'm a visual, very visual person. So this very, like, deeply spoke to me. And um, basically, the, the exercise was just to envision, like, a place that you're comfortable with and that, like, you really, like, means a lot to you. And for me, that was the beach. If you've ever been to Corona del Mar, uh, that's just a very, like, special, calming, relaxing place to me. And... If you're familiar with it, there's like this like uh, concrete wall that goes along the channel. Uh, so I was sitting on that concrete wall, like I just had this vision of me sitting there. And then Jesus was sitting there next to me, and he was just like right next to me. And then he had like his arm around me like this, and we were just sitting there talking. I don't remember what the words we were speaking particularly, but we were speaking for a few minutes. And then uh, all of a sudden he stands up, and if you notice, if you know Corona del Mar, um, the water comes right up to where the concrete is, and he just takes like four steps forward, and he just like walks out onto the water, and I'm just like sitting here like, wow, and I can't even believe what I'm seeing, you know, and then he turns around, and he looks at me, and then he just kind of puts his hand out like this, and obviously like I know what that means, but <laughs> like I'm just scared, I'm just sitting there like, whoa, like, wow, and he just says, he says, trust me, and those are the only words and then as I was, like, about to make my decision, like, to stand up, like, I was scared, but the silence and solitude kind of ended right there, so I didn't really know, like, I <laughs> <Sorry>. think, <laughs> I think I would have, I definitely would have, but <laughs> I don't know, like, it's still leaning on it, but, yeah, it really just helped me learn to trust in Jesus, so. Thanks so much, Zach. And then Chris G. There you are. Uh, so Chris shared, a lot of you guys heard it during the testimony time, just kind of two moments where he was sitting in front of the Lord, um, one in his home, one at retreat. Yeah, so I just wanted you to share about that. About that. Yeah. Um, and your travels. <laughs> so like er earlier in the week of uh, retreat, like the, the Monday before was like my birthday, so, like, my birthday present to myself for some reason was, like, uh, at, like, 11.40 p.m. before 12 a.m., like, I had the idea, like, okay, I, like, at 12.01, I'm just going to go, like, face down, like, on my hands and knees and, like, ask for forgiveness from God and just, like, um, yeah, I was just going to pray and cry. So, like, I just went on my knees. I was just, like, forgive me, Lord, for what I've become, and I just, like, laid there for 20 minutes, got it over with, and went to sleep. And then at Happy uh, birthday. <coughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> and then so at retreat during this same like prayer of healing time, um, after um, I prayed for the people on my right and left, and really during that time, um, what God was speaking to me was just what people might use to fill the void that they have, like things other than God. What are all the things that they use? So when it came to praying for me, I. I just brought myself back to this like throne room where God is just, um, you know, he's king and he's majesty and I'm very far 
far away from him, still on my hands and knees. And as people are praying for me, for some reason, just all the titles of God, like I start spewing out, like all the Christianese I know, like from that one song, like King of Kings, Lord of Lords, <laughs> God Almighty, like all, I went through all like 200 of them. And, and as I'm proclaiming all these things, you know, I'm still like, I'm probably like kneeling, just like walking, walking up the stairs ever, ever so slightly. And um, by the time it ended, I didn't really like see God, you know, face to face, but I just felt so at peace and content and filled in, you know, only the way that God can. And really the, the whole lesson, you know, having come back from just traveling, you know, it was another, it was a huge thing that I tried to use, um, you know, as another replacement for God, you know, that I thought, you know, if I quit my job or isolate myself from these people, my family, friends here even, that, you know, maybe there'd be some happiness for me out there. But God was just showing me how simple it was to... Um, yeah, like, you know, not to say that that trip was bad, but God was saying it's so simple. Just, you know, this discontentment that you have, just just come to me. Just humble yourself before me. Mm. Be silent, and I will reveal myself to you and show you once again that I am the only thing that fills. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. <laughs> you know, there's a prophet in the Old Testament that is just making fun of idols, because they're deaf, they're dumb, they can't move, they're carved out of wood, you could tip them over and nothing happens. And then he compares worshiping them to worshiping the true and living God who does speak, who does move, who knows us and loves us. Like why would you bow down to a piece of wood when you have a savior and a best friend and someone who loves you? And I hope that the fasting would move us towards the Lord in those really amazing ways. As a community, that's what I'm hoping for. Again, like, I move into those spaces. Some of it's, I don't think God's speaking to us or those pictures is like our eyeballs rolling back and we have no control and kind of convulse a little bit. And then, like, there's a picture that's overwhelming. I think, I think it's a partnership, like the way the Lord does all of this, where we use our imagination, where we invite him in where we desire to hear from him, and there's some uncertainty, and then there's other times where everyone around us knows that that's exactly the word we needed. You know, in my silence and solitude time, I imagined Jesus picking me up and putting me on the counter, you know, and him being my dad, um, and, and us looking into each other's eyes. And he got so close that I looked into his eyes, and instead of seeing my reflection, I saw Christ. And I thought about the passage that, that says that when we see him, we become like him. I hope that this extended season of fasting and prayer would bring us to the Lord. Uh, our, our book, Day by Day, our devotional, I bought 10 more. If you guys weren't able to get one, they're $10 a piece. But if you can't afford that, we'll take whatever change is in your pocket. And the emphasis is being with God. Is that silence and solitude, is that listening and enjoying his presence, even more than his voice, that you would enjoy his soul. I want to close our time and then, but also have us go back into our small groups and, and just share about these two questions. What will you fast during Lent or what are you considering fasting? Um, and, it's, you know, it's not a contract or anything. And then how will fasting, even as you envision it, 
allow you to have silence and solitude to feast on Jesus' presence. And as you share and pray for each other, I want to invite you to take communion together, to remember that Jesus, he's our high priest, that he can empathize for all, with all of our weaknesses because he's been tempted. And so we get to approach the throne of grace with confidence. As we think about Jesus walking through the temptation of Satan, he knows, he knows how to overcome, and he wants to make us overcomers. So I'll pray for us, and I would love for us to share, pray for each other, and take communion together. Father, we're really grateful, um, Jesus, for you representing us as the victor, as the one who conquered evil and sin and death, facing off against Satan, representing us in victory, taking on death, and rising again in resurrection. God, we follow you. Um, and we are more than conquerors. And I pray, Lord, that the season of Lent wouldn't be filled with sadness and grief and sacrifice, but, but it would be filled with your presence and a deeper love for, for who you are, uh, for the person of Jesus, hearing you, seeing you, enjoying you. In Jesus' name, amen.